0: Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you the bees advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and
1: AFC Wimbledon. John! Yes. Have you noticed that the bees uh, haven't been out flying around? Why haven't the bees been out flying around, Hank?
0: Because they're uh, they're in the hive for the winter. Do you know why they like to stay in the hive for the winter?
1: I don't. Swarm. <sighs> That's not, that's not a joke. That one was really, that was, that was real bad.
0: I feel bad about it. Do you want another one? No. John, do you know how many bones there are in a a human hand?
1: How many? A handful. (laughs) That was better. That was better. (laughs) But just for future reference, like the last thing that you should do when somebody tells you, I did not enjoy that joke. (laughs) I is got double more. down you want another <laughs> you want another one I just told you my best joke, but hold on. I've got a less good one lined up. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I didn't feel like either of those were too good, but I felt like if, both, if you
0: do two of them, it'd be yep. like add up to one good joke. All right, John, do you have any good news
1: for me? I do have some good news, Hank. In the United States, the turnout for the midterm elections was excellent, which is good news because democracy works when people vote. And here in the United States... Uh, voting is not as common as it is in many countries, partly because of voter suppression, partly because of historical attitudes toward voting. So it's great to see a little bit of a change on that front.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially in a midterm election where, you know, people are usually not super engaged. uh, It seems like people are
1: more engaged. The reasons for that might not be good news, but that is good news. That's right, Hank. If we are looking for the reasons <laughs> behind the good news, we will almost always find bad news. So we don't do that anymore. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what that part of the podcast is about. Exactly. Let's answer some questions from our listeners. This first one comes from Amanda, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I am walking home from the subway in 30-degree weather, and my bladder is so full. Before my fingers <laughs> get paralyzed from the cold, I wanted to ask, what will happen if I freeze to death before I get to a bathroom? Will my pee freeze inside of my body? trying to prepare for all contingencies, Amanda. Amanda, I have bad news for
0: you. But before we get to the bad news, I am going to need to ask John a question as a person who
1: lives in Montana. Mm-hmm. How do you pee in big cities? <laughs> well, I mean, wait, when you're in town, do you just pee on the sidewalk?
0: No, and I'm in Missoula, I go to one of the many places where I am allowed to pee, like the public restroom sure. or y- like the yeah, restaurant that's... where I know the people who work there.
1: That's definitely the number one way uh the the other ways are not as as desirable <laughs> like, <laughs> the number one way is to find a public restroom the number if it's if it's a true p emergency, I think most people will understand if you go to an alley. Or you just kind of turn away. But that is technically, in a lot yeah. of places, a crime called public urination. I just want to know if there are public restrooms and I'm just not seeing them. Uh, there, well, there are. Yeah, of course. It's just like, it's, I mean, the answer is that it's just like Missoula, except there are more buildings and ergo more bathrooms. Okay. I just feel like I could never find a place to pee. Right, but it's because you don't know the city. <laughs> like,
0: oh, it's not because it's a... So there are places to pee, I just haven't noticed them.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, usually there are occasions where you have to be like, listen, I need to use the bathroom, and you're going to have one kind of problem or another kind of problem, <laughs> and I think you're going to prefer if you let me use the restroom.
0: Right, right, sure. and like, And when I get out, I'll
1: buy a USB charger. Or a piece of pizza or whatever they sell there. Right, yeah. like I know the restroom is for customers only and I will be a customer, but first
0: <laughs> okay. All right, so Amanda, that's number one. Well go pee because apparently there are places to pee in your
1: city. No, Amanda, you're gonna make it. It's fine. you're gonna make it, you're gonna make it to your apartment and it's I mean, is there anything more enjoyable? Than making it to your apartment and just Mm. being like, oh, peeing, pee in this nice, comfortable place. John, do you know the the answer to Amanda's
0: question though?
1: Of course, your your, of course, your pee is not going to freeze inside of your bladder after you die, unless it is incredibly cold, like near absolute zero.
0: Well, first of all, it's 30 degrees, so your body isn't going to freeze for a long time. But the main thing is that by the time you are dead from cold, your body Mm -hmm. isn't frozen yet, and so your muscles will relax and you'll pee all over your dead body. All right. And then that (laughs) will freeze on the outside. Good party. That will probably happen before you die, by the way, which is bad because then you're cold because you have pee on you.
1: Well, I, I mean, I kind of knew that, but I'm glad to have it laid out for me in that manner, Hank. So thank you. The next time that I need to pee and I'm walking in the cold, I will... Know exactly what's going to happen if I don't find my way to warmth.
0: All right. Well, speaking of which, John, this question is from Lauren, and she's got a solution for you. Dear Hank and John, what would it feel like to be microwaved? (laughs) (laughs) Microwaving goodbye, Lauren. Very good. Very good. Um, It would definitely warm your pee up. That's for sure.
1: (laughs) Don't do that. Don't, do not get in a microwave. No matter how big it is, no matter how comfortable it looks, no matter how cold you are, do not get in a microwave. So I have heard a story
0: um, that uh, during the Korean War, m- men would actually stand in front of the microwave antennas to warm up, mm. which is basically they like these are antenna that are broadcasting information and they stood in front of them to get warm. So mm-hmm. those people know and apparently it warms you up. Does it also <laughs> like mutate the DNA in your cells?
1: Probably a little bit. Don't do that. Yeah, I just as a rule, like I putting everything else aside, Hank, I feel like it would be very difficult to get inside of most microwaves.
0: That's true. That's a very good point. And in fact, uh, if you if you have ever watched the YouTube show "Is It a Good Idea to Microwave This," which I yeah. did. Uh, in the in the 2000s classic of the genre classic of the genre you will note that um, it is hard to get a microwave to turn on with the door open even for lots of good reasons but I in college had a microwave that did turn on when the door was not open and we threw it away because that seemed bad
1: (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) definitely Right. I mean, there was a time when microwaves were far less safe than they are now. We we feel like we're in this, like, horrible moment in human history, and in many ways we are, but at least we're not, like, huddling by the microwave radios for warmth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's in the future, John. Oh, God. Let's hope not. I, I do think sometimes, though, that we need to, like, pause and be grateful Yes. For the I fact that the you. 21st century is so far, at least, on pace to be the least violent century in human history. Yeah. For the fact that by most objective measures, life is getting better. The main way that life is getting worse is Twitter. Like, it's those big things, John, but it's also the small things. Like,
0: everybody's got a fridge, and like, I can get avocado toast, and...
1: Co- coffee is really good now. <laughs> Hank and I are so into the fact that most most people own refrigerators, like. <laughs> it's an incredible human accomplishment, not just to have yeah. invented the refrigerator, but to have made the refrigerator affordable enough that like lots of people have two of them, and you can go on Craigslist and someone will be like, "Hey, I'll give you my refrigerator for five bucks if you pick it up."
0: Yeah, it's free free to free to a good home. I uh, I've been playing a video game called Tropico lately, John. Yeah, and Tropico is a game where you are, are sort of running a, a like a community on a small island in the Caribbean and trying to make everybody happy and, or suppressing them through your dictatorship Mm -hmm. depends on how you want to play it. uh, Sure. And, (laughs) uh, I've noticed a thing where, uh, and they've, they've designed this well, where when you first introduce something, people are like, yes, this is excellent. And I like it. Um, and so like, like I have a bunch of houses that I built like in the early 1900s and then, uh, into the 1950s they're like I hate these houses they're terrible and I'm like you loved them 50 years ago and it's like they're like yeah but like things have gotten better and I don't want to continue living the old bad way when like there are other people in other places living in the new good way and I think that's that is that is important um, and also like it's it's great it's a, that is a like I as a dictator am frustrated by that but I as a human love that it's so wonderful that like we uh what what we see as a normal amount of comfort changes and
1: uh, and that we can continue making the world a better place for, for people and their children. Hank, I think we should get back to answering questions shortly, but I just want to tell you that I met an astronaut over the weekend. <laughs> okay. Context isn't important, but I was hanging out with an astronaut, not to brag, but this is a person who spent like a year in space. And- well now you've you've limited to it's not just an astronaut, it's one of like two astronauts that you've now Well, it's also possible that they didn't spend a year in space and I misheard them talking. I'm not a very good listener.
0: Or that it it may be that you're exaggerating, which
1: I've seen happen before. But I'm about to retell the story that they told me verbatim with no exaggerations whatsoever. All right. Okay. They were making the point to me, which I found very interesting, that like velociraptors were maybe like two to five million years away from getting really smart, that they were pretty Mm. smart You know, they had opposable thumbs. Some good stuff was happening on the velociraptor sentience front. And then there's this catastrophic event that results in the, you know, extinction of velociraptors and many other species. Okay. We are in a weird time in human history where there's a little bit of like a a potential bottleneck. Like there's a lot of ways that we could kill uh, all the humans on the planet right now. <laughs> yeah, and there's okay. a like a higher than ever number of people who have that power. Okay. Yep. But if we can just become a species that lives in like a few places, like not just Earth, but maybe for instance, Mars, maybe even the moon, mm-hmm. then if there is a catastrophe on one of those places, it's not the end of the velociraptors. And I found that the most compelling argument I have ever heard for why we should focus about half of our available resources <laughs> on reducing, <laughs> you know, poverty and disease burden and improving life expectancy and lifespan, and the other half of our resources on Mars, which was a huge shift in my thinking. But I am now strongly, as of like three days ago, pro. Mars,
0: Man, I got to tell you, that is not – that argument doesn't even do it for me. That's not the one that works for me because I feel like if we're on Mars – I mean, maybe 300, 500 years from now, you could have a sustainable yeah. colony on Mars. But Yeah, I, okay. that's what
1: I want. All right. Five – okay, good, good. I'm on board I'm with you I'm thinking in now. a 500-year time horizon. 500 years from now, there the number of people who can end human life on Earth will be greater than it is today. And I don't like I mm-hmm. the the greater that number gets, the more certain it becomes that human life will end on Earth. But Mars is gonna survive it and rep- it's gonna be great, Hank. Everything is gonna be fine. Good. We're gonna make it. We're, gonna make, we're it. gonna make it we're gonna make it through this millennium if it kills us, to quote the mountain goats. <laughs> All right, this next one comes from Susanna who asks, Dear John and Hank, my dad recently got a Facebook account. Oh, my condolences. Mm-hmm. That's too bad. He's very, very into it. Yeah, I, I bet he is. <laughs> I mean, everybody who's new to Facebook is like, look at this thing. I'm away for university, so I don't see this firsthand, but whenever I open chat, I see that he's active. And my mom and sister complain about him spending too much time on Facebook, even during dinner, which was strictly forbidden for me and my sister. And I realize that he's scrolling and reading comments, even when I'm Skyping with him and my mom. Mm. Also, he's posting a lot of political posts Mm -hmm. and although well-intentioned. Oh, mm. boy, they always are, aren't yeah. they? They often are worded in a conflict-initiating way, and my dad, as a newcomer to Facebook, hasn't yet learned that this is definitely not a good place for political discussions. Oh, Susanna, if only, <laughs> if only, <laughs> I like, if there, only there that was a problem yeah. for yeah. newcomers. Yeah,
0: there seems to be a, a, a perspective here that this is something that only happens and then, like, you get you get over it, but in my yeah. experience, that... I mean maybe eventually, but
1: that's Z- Zuzana yeah. Zuzana is a much better person than I am, is the long <laughs> and short of it. Yeah. I'm a lot more like Zuzanna's dad. Yeah. Zuzanna is my hope for the future. Anyway, I tried telling him how unhealthy this can be and that it seems like he's pulling away from real social life, but it's tricky. Who listens to their daughter for life advice? Do you have any ideas on how to approach this? Facebook's and fathers, Zuzana. Mm. Oh god, I'm so sorry. I don't I don't know how to fix this problem. But it's not just you. It's the whole species. <laughs> yeah, the
0: um, there was a really interesting uh, article I read once that said the Internet didn't have the giant impact on the 2016 election that we thought it had. And uh, and it, it said and it, it was like in 2014, all of these people and that was the most recent data we had didn't have Facebook's. And so, like, it couldn't be affecting these people. And so there was some, might like, talk of, like, maybe there's some kind of effect where, like, one person is influencing, like, one person on Facebook is influencing a bunch of other people on Facebook. But actually, it turned out that a lot of people got Facebook between 2014 and 2016. And a lot of people right. particularly got Facebook during the election cycle, like, while the campaigns were happening, because right. they were really Jones in for news because in america when elections are happening we get pretty obsessed with it especially if we're somebody who maybe thinks that like the opposition party might be like a catastrophe for for the country and right. so those people all came on facebook very quickly and just like zuzana's dad didn't know like all like you know like had that initial spurt of being like super obsessed and also not super healthy about how they were using it and also seeing it as this way to influence the world that it was almost like being on this platform doing this work that is the good that I am doing this is the this is how I am making the world better by engaging in these conflicts by uh by by coming at people by creating and oftentimes creating conflicts and and I know that from personal experience too and I still I still do it a little bit I've gotten much better at it especially since starting starting delete this though not everyone can start a you know year-long podcast with their wife in which they uh, get criticized on how they're using social media Um, but but I think that we are building some tools and I think we are getting better at it and I do think that to some extent Susanna is right that like you get you like the the moment you get into it is the moment that it's the worst and that realizing that bad behavior pattern takes a little while and it also does take feedback from people who love you and who you can trust and hopefully your dad can trust you and and the rest of your family to
1: to like help him rein it in yeah hank is a lot more optimistic about this stuff than i am like i read hank's novel and Came to a very different conclusion based on the text of the novel than Hank came to as the author. I do not see the number of minutes that people spend on these social media platforms decreasing much over time. Like it, I, but I don't it, really. It, s-
0: it is right now, and Facebook actually has a huge problem, and like they're getting scared about it.
1: And, um, and well, then that's great. I yeah. mean, it, it's, well, I, I guess I can only speak to my personal experience. I don't know that much about the, the metadata. But uh, in my personal experience, the amount of time I spend on these platforms, even as I do learn to create content in a more careful way to respond, you know, when baited less often, etc., I don't really find myself able to uh, turn off in the way that I used to be able to. You know, we got into the internet in the first place. The, the reason that this podcast is happening. The reason that there is Vlogbrothers is that before Twitter or even like Facebook was that big of a deal, at least in my life, Hank and I were really into a couple of YouTube shows that in a lot of ways, mimicked the contemporary social internet just on a much smaller scale, like that allowed us to feel connected to people, that allowed us to feel like being part of that community was was really productive and important and interesting, and in some ways, like the most interesting thing that we could be doing in that moment. And I, I still, I agree with Hank, I still believe that there are wonderful things about the internet, and that these are mostly tools that we just don't know how to use well yet. And the fact that Zuzana, for instance, is able to see her father's use of the internet very differently from how she uses the internet tells me that, like, I suspect the next generation, the kids who grow up with this, will treat it differently and more cautiously than Mm -hmm. than we've treated it. Uh, But I, I am still really concerned about it. And that's why I'm taking a year away from the social internet to see what I feel like on the other side of that. Oof. A year. It's not that long. I mean it's true unless, as you get older a year becomes less of a big deal. Yeah, and it's going to be a very busy year to be honest with you. So it's got other stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's 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 a ton of stuff going on yeah. and it'll probably be useful to me uh, to go to twitter.com and find that there is an app that says no no, you can't.
0: Yeah, I've actually... So I spent a lot of this um, this weekend playing that video game that I've now talked about two times. Because yeah, it, obviously it's, it's a little stuck in my brain because of how much fun it is and how compelling it is. I love strategy games. Uh, and I had not played a lot of video games recently. But what I found is, like, it gave me an outlet for problem solving and for, like... Exercising and flexing some problem-solving muscles, and was very distracting and felt very good, and I enjoyed doing. And it's very pretty. And it was time that I otherwise would have just been engaging on Twitter. And then when I was like, "Let's look at Twitter," I didn't have the same dopamine response. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was that's very interesting to me. Um, Mm -hmm. That that a you know a solitary video game can kind of be. Just a reboot like a like a switch to hit and be like, oh yeah no like that's this isn't the end of everything there there are other things that are fun um and that I can do in my free time that are maybe a little healthier
1: yeah, no I agree I feel the same way about video games my issue is that I am suffering from what you Hank called technology induced loneliness mm-hmm and I do not want to have technology-induced loneliness anymore. And my brain says that the treatment for technology-induced loneliness is to spend more time on the internet. And I think that my brain might be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think that is correct. I think that is correct. Um, Catherine and I went to
0: a party last night and we were like, oh, gosh, oh, my. Look at all of these human beings. And then yeah. I spent like an hour of it playing with a two-year-old because that's, uh, that's where I'm at, John. <laughs> so, yeah that's my, no. uh, it was fun though He was a great little two-year-old this next question comes from hannah who asks dear hank and john i am the head librarian in a school and i'm currently reading the fault in our stars for the first time everyone thinks that of course i've read it before so i'm attracting lots of spoilers how can i stop <laughs> this without telling everyone i haven't read it
1: before not a spammer or a banana hannah well, Hannah, one thing that I think we forget about books is that even very popular books are read by basically nobody, <laughs> 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 including m- many of the people who have strong opinions about those very popular books, right? Like, we all know that the number of people with an opinion about Twilight mm-hmm. is m- massively lower than the number of people who actually read Twilight. Mm-hmm. The Fault in Our Stars is a much more successful novel than I ever imagined could be possible in my life and yet like 95 to 96% of people over the age of 14 have not read it. So <laughs> you're in very good company Hannah like you're yeah. with the vast majority of people.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: but 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 Hannah's a head librarian. Uh, Even so, like, there's no, uh, there are lots of books. And why would you read one instead of another? Like, you can, even a very ambitious reader can read maybe 50 to 100 books per year. That means that every year, there are lots and lots and lots of great books that you don't read. Mm -hmm. So I, I just think in general, the way to deal with this is not to spoil stuff. Yeah, like, just, I mean, you're, just you're
0: solving the problem for all the people listening who might spoil something, but there's, that's, not, there's not that many of them. How do we solve the problem for Hannah, who has this problem now, and we're not going to shift all of society overnight?
1: Do well, you I mean, put a post-it news.
0: note on the book that says, I've not read this book, this is my first time? Do you no. read it on a Kindle and no one knows what you're reading?
1: No, you definitely don't do that. You buy it from your local independent bookstore. <laughs> do you? Do you only read it at home no. and have no, another me, book me, for let work? Let me correct myself. You clearly get it out of your local library. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's free, and and Hannah's there. Yeah,
0: Hannah, who I assume is in the United Kingdom, because yeah. wrote not a spanner or a banana. Hannah, and so I assume that's supposed to rhyme.
1: Right, spanna,
0: spanna. Or a banana. Should should I reread the the,
1: the, uh, question in a British accent, John? Would that be good? If you reread the question in a British accent, I will quit the pod. (laughs) I can never go back to the time when you faked a British accent for six months. It's like one of my worst memories. Do you
0: want to know a great thing, Catherine? Oh, I got almost called you, Catherine. Do you want to know a great thing, John?
1: What? Um, Sometimes I do
0: accents when I'm reading or in books and, uh-huh. and uh, so I'll start reading a book that like, clearly is from the like from the the word usage it's a British book or it's a like like American South book um, and I'll start to do an accent and he will go, "No, no,
1: no no no, no <laughs> <laughs> I've always done something similar with Alice where I insert Alice into the story. Yeah. You know, so I'll have like the main character of mm-hmm. whatever book be Alice and she just hates it. <laughs> She's always hated it. And I've always thought it was hilarious. And she'll be like, no, dad, go back and read it the regular way. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're dads. Yeah, you can't. It, it's, it's just irresistible. Anyway, Hannah, what you should say is, look. 95% of people haven't read this book, and I am one of them, but I'm about to not be one of them, so stop spoiling me. But spoiler alert about spoilers for The Fault in Our Stars, th- you can't spoil the book. Like it's not. <laughs> That's not true. I, I mean, disagree with you. It's like spoiling the Titanic, you know? Where no, like, it's
0: not! Because it would be like you... spoiling the Titanic if it <laughs> Well, we can't put that in the pod, Nick. That's a spoiler.
1: I <laughs> Hank just said something very funny that we can't put in the pod because it's a spoiler, but it was very, very funny. All right, Hannah. Um, okay, all right. Here, the, you, I guess, I guess, I guess, upon further reflection, you can spoil the fault in our stars. I convinced him, everyone. He did, he did, he did. I'm just gonna say, no. I I'm just gonna say what you said. I think it's so funny that I think it's worth the spoiler. So hit that like skip ahead 30 seconds button, all of you who haven't read *The Fault in Our Stars*. Also, it's available wherever books are sold. Um, What Hank said was, it's just like the Titanic, but if a different ship sank.
0: uh so yeah okay. i think Woo. yeah all right hannah if you're
1: listening um maybe you just want to listen to the spoiler and be just just accept it all right if you're coming back uh from not listening welcome, welcome. uh again my book the fault in Our stars <laughs> has not been read by 95 percent of people right. and i i want you to not be one of them anymore
0: hit it or you can get an absolutely remarkable thing as well
1: all right, Hank, this next question comes from Christina, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've always known this, but recently I've given more thought to the fact that when we breathe air out of a kissy face position, it is cold. But when we breathe air out of a more kissy open face. mouth, it is hot. Why is this? Do we cool our own air before blowing it out? Not an Aguilera. Christina, I have to – is that right? Is that true? Oh, wow. It is totally true. Oh. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's dramatic. Yeah, uh, this is okay, so now we are discovering that
1: this is the first time Jana's ever done kissy face hair. It's the first time I've ever done kissy face while like expelling air out of my mouth in the fastest way possible. I don't know how you kiss, but that's not my strategy. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely how I do it to Orange's belly. Um
0: but but so, it's so cold. It's like colder than the air. It's almost definitely not colder than it's the air. It's like air, air conditioning. You, I a-
1: it's the difference between turning on the heat and turning on the air conditioning in your car.
0: <laughs> so my guess is when you're my guess is when you got big open mouth and you're blowing air, that that it's not incorporating a lot of air from like ambient air Mm. whereas when you blow the little tube you're getting a lot of mixing of ambient air through like like you know fluid dynamics Bernoulli stuff that you don't want to know about um and that's like grabbing a bunch of other air sucking it in and mixing it so that by the time it hits whatever you're like measuring the temperature at that um and actually i'm going to do a test john i'm going to do a test right now
1: I don't agree. I, I think it's different. I think it's something else. I think it's that when you push air out at a high rate of speed, it picks up air in the atmosphere. And that's what I was saying. Okay. I thought you meant like because you, you're you breathing differently. No, like no, no. It's, a, it's in your like lungs sucking in atmosphere.
0: Yeah. It's sucking in ambient air. So air from the room. Right. And yes. And I just did an experiment, John, okay. to confirm this because science is is great. Um I hollowed out a pen uh-huh. on my desk mm-hmm. and I blew fast air through the pen mm-hmm. and right when it comes out it's still warm.
1: Oh. Wow. I mean we are here to solve people's problems. <laughs> Big ones, small ones, but especially small ones. <laughs> <laughs> Which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by Hank's Science Experiments. Hank's Ooh. Science Experiments, L- look for them soon in a retail store, maybe. And this podcast
0: is also brought to you by the first six months on Facebook. You think it's so important, <laughs> but really you're just being attacked from the inside.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you you have an autoimmune disease called Facebook. <laughs> Today's podcast is also sponsored by huge microwave rays that you can stand next to to get warm. Not recommended.
0: <laughs> Not recommended. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by Ferret Oatmeal Bath. That's a question we haven't answered yet. We didn't get through very many questions, John.
1: Well, we still have time. Let's get right to that Ferret Oatmeal Bath question. <laughs> this one comes from Vicky, who writes, <laughs> okay. Dear John and Hank, I have a roommate who I absolutely adore. That sentence makes the rest of the question kind of make sense but only a little bit. So let's just <laughs> bear in mind throughout the rest of the question that Vicky for whatever reason completely adores this roommate. We share a bathroom and she's a moderately clean person. I don't have any complaints aside from the fact that she has two ferrets and she bathes them in our bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> this wouldn't be a problem but ferrets have to have oatmeal baths and do she they doesn't have always to? clean Do they
0: have to have oatmeal baths?
1: <laughs> like do they have is oatmeal that... baths in the wild? Yeah, I is mean... that
0: like on the instruction manual?
1: <laughs> Can you imagine like the ferret spa that they go to <laughs> like in the wild where they're like, "Oh yeah. god, this oatmeal bath, it's so nice." I'm sure there's a reason why ferrets need oatmeal baths. Anyway, she doesn't always clean the tub out after their baths. That, that, that is a crisis. It needs oatmeal <laughs> dust in the bottom of the tub, and if I don't check before I shower, it makes the bottom of the tub slimy, and I end up smelling like a retirement home. I'm a non-confrontational <laughs> person. Yeah, no, Vicky, we gathered that. So how do I broach this? Do I obsessively clean the tub every time I shower? Do I request a schedule of her ferret bathing? Any doobies, advice is welcome. Venny, Vidi, Vicky.
0: Oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta. Well, this is a great time to take a person you adore and have a good relationship with, and experiment with a little bit
1: of conflict. Just a tiny bit, where you say, "Hey, Rumi, couple things. First off, <laughs> do ferrets have to take oatmeal baths? No, no,
0: no, no, no. First off, I love your ferrets, and I love them, and I love them, and I love them, mm, and I want to. I don't you to think take, I could go that far. I want, First off, and I, I want you to no, take no. great care of them.
1: First off, I tolerate your ferrets, and I know that you love them. There's no reason to be dishonest. I know that you love your ferrets. I want them to be healthy. I want you to take great care of them. But when I shower after the ferrets have bathed in our only tub, I often feel really gross. For a variety of reasons that I would imagine you can it's imagine, it's
0: dangerous. It's dangerous. You got it like a slippery tub. Is a da- people die.
1: Absolutely, it's dangerous. Hank. That's why I believe that if you've got a tub, you should take a bath, but not Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> but but only but there's one exception to that to that <laughs> statement. There's not a lot of bathtubs that I wouldn't take a bath in. But I have to say that if I was living in Vicky's house, I would probably be a shower person. (laughs) Yeah, you're just going to have to have a small confrontation because really what you're looking for here is not a huge shift in behavior. You're looking Mm -hmm. for, hey, after the ferrets get out of the tub, can you wipe it down really carefully because you just put two ferrets inside of our only shower container? (laughs) And if they react negatively to that— then, I I can't imagine that they will, Vicky. I think no, you're going to yeah. be fine. You've got to have the confrontation though, because a this is a health issue and a safety issue, and B it is a big big problem. <laughs> <laughs> John Fuck. thinks I, it's a real I usually big try problem. to minimize how big a problem these things are, but this seems to me like a proper crisis.
0: All right, John, this next question comes from Sage, who asks, Dear Hank and John, Last week I was doing my homework, and this person came up to me and started talking, and it was a bit annoying, but I tried to be friendly. He ended up asking for my Snapchat, and I gave it to him. I asked if I... He asked if I wanted to be his friend, and I said okay because what else was I gonna say? He has been talking to me on Snapchat and wants to hang out sometime. He called me one of his best friends. He is a pretty cool person, but I really don't want to be friends with him. Partially because he's a lot older than me, and I don't think he knows how old I am. I'm sixteen. How do I stop being friends with him? I've considered not answering his texts, but that seems mean, and I don't want to hurt his feelings. Pumpkins and penguins, Sage. Oh, Sage. Don't people, just be- Sage.
1: I'm just gonna say this really quickly. People who are going to treat you poorly and are going to abuse your trust, that is what they do. They make you feel obligated. They make you feel like, oh, I mean, in the normal course of human events, I would be friends with this person. It doesn't seem totally unreasonable to say no to any of their individual requests, but you're getting a vibe and the vibe is correct and you should ghost this person. Yeah. Give me another one, John. All right, Hank, let's stay serious for a minute. This one comes from Abby. who writes, Dear John and Hank, my dad passed away unexpectedly last week. I'm a junior in college, and everyone I know keeps asking, how are you, and offering condolences, which is very sweet of them, and I appreciate it. But the problem is, I keep saying, it's okay, and then they say, no, it's not okay. And, you know, (laughs) it isn't okay, uh, but it leaves me in an awkward position in which there is no easy way to end these conversations. Is there a good response to these questions that lets them know that they don't need to worry about me without oversharing or lying. Can I just walk around telling people my dad died and it's not okay, bye now, see you later? Should I just crack a joke? How many morbid jokes can I get away with before causing alarm? Abby. (laughs) Oh, this is actually, she has a great name-specific sign-off. I forgot it. I'm sorry. Doing appropriately shabby. Abby. (laughs) That's good. You should just just put that on a T-shirt. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard because... People are trying to be nice, but in a mm-hmm. lot of cases, Abby, I'm imagining that it's in a situation where you don't have like fifteen minutes or it's not someone you're particularly close to. You might be like in a hallway or right before the beginning of class or something, and they're like how are you how are you doing?" And you're like, "I don't really have time to discuss it, and I'm also not sure how much you want to discuss it." Mm-hmm. one thing Cheryl Sandberg recommended in her book uh, about the Grief she experienced after her husband's death was saying to people, "How are you doing today?" As a way of not making it this big, overwhelming question, but about what what's going on today, and it allows them allows the Abbey of the situation to share whatever part of their day they want to, as opposed right. to only having to talk over and over again about uh, this, you know, huge, overwhelming loss in their lives. And maybe that's
0: like just turn that question into that because how are you doing could mean could mean a lot of things. And if you turn it into here's how I'm doing today or here's how I'm doing this afternoon or, you know, like that might be an easier question to get your head around and to, to have a satisfying answer to.
1: Yeah, the other thing I'd say, and Abby, we're not grief counselors or experts in grief, to be clear. Um, we are two brothers who just figured out via blowing through a pen how <laughs> air gets cold. But I do think that it's really important to have conversations with people you trust about how you're feeling and what you're going through to process that that grief and to learn to live with it. And I think reaching out to people who are asking how are you at a time when it's good for you and when you have time and when the situation is appropriate... Is, is almost always going to be welcomed by those people. And so I would encourage you to reach out to people when you need to, as you need to, but not feel obligated to say anything in response. This episode
0: of Dear hang is brought to you by Thrive Market.
1: Thrive Market is
0: there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free, fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house. And Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online and then, like, just quickly shipped to the doorstep, it's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Tribani Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt... And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee, And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to ThriveMarket.com slash DearHank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash DearHank, ThriveMarket.com
1: slash DearHank. How are you other than I'm okay or or I'm doing all right today or whatever feels right for you? I have
0: another question. It's from Twiscu who asks, Dear Hank and John, help! I use public transport almost daily and I don't know when to wear my mittens. Am I supposed to wear my gloves all the time and never take them off or am I supposed to take them off while I'm inside of the bus? I'm confused as to how I can stop my hands from getting cold. Rhymes with lizard. Rhymes with lizard. Twiscu? Wait. Hmm.
1: Wait. Huh. Hmm. Is that... Are you
0: messing? Rhymes with lizard. I feel like
1: you're messing with us. Twiscu. Twiskuzzard, lizard, Twiskzard. Twi- oh, huh. Mm. Twisks. I can't think of any <laughs> word that rhymes with lizard other than kind of Charizard, and even that like isn't uh, a complete rhyme. Blizzard. Uh, yeah, Blizzard. Gee, what's also- wrong with me? Blizzard obviously rhymes with lizard, so it's their name <laughs> is clearly Blizzard.
0: <laughs> I think. Twisco has done an amazing job of recognizing that we are almost definitely going to mispronounce their name and made us okay about it, I think, was the goal.
1: Yeah, and it worked. Thank you. Uh,
0: John, I—so it depends on how warm it is on the bus, slash whether you want to touch anything that's on the bus.
1: Right. To me, wearing mittens is an excellent excuse not to have my hands touch bus surfaces, which are widely known to be among the less clean surfaces available to humans. John, do you know that uh, metal objects actually
0: disinfect themselves? So like copper railings, copper donor knobs, steel poles, not like, not like in real time, but over time they, they are able yeah. to... Like, uh, the, the metal particles get into bacteria and actually disrupt their, their functions.
1: Yeah. I do know that. That's why I try very hard when I'm on public transportation, never to touch plastic.
0: Yeah. Like you would, like, I almost feel like the plastic would be the cleaner surface, but it is not in fact, because even though like the metal is what people are touching all the time, but anyway, yeah. wear those mittens, man? If you're comfortable wearing mittens.
1: Even if it's a little too warm on the bus for mittens, I would still wear the mittens because, in my experience, there is very little that is less pleasant than, like, emergency, panicked, fast putting on mittens. You know, so, like, you get to your stop, and you're like, oh, my God, it's my stop, and you got your bag, and you got a bunch of things happening, and then you're like, oh, I've got to put on my mittens. And trying to put on mittens quickly is a recipe for disaster.
0: (laughs) Yeah, agree. Especially when you're trying to put them on
1: a two-year-old.
0: Oh my god. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Well, Ugh. then I'm like, even now, like my my kids will be like, oh, the fingers aren't in the right glove spots or whatever. I'll be like, it's fine. The it, who cares? <laughs> what do you need that for? It's a six-step walk to the car. We can do it. <laughs> Just ball your fists up and put them into little hand socks. It's fine. Exactly. All right, Hank, we've got to get to some comments before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Uh, this email came in from Ian, who wrote, Dear John and Hank, you've stated repeatedly that this new partnership with WNYC would not change the pod, but now, only one episode in, John states that Reese's peanut butter cups are the, quote, best Halloween candy and the first thing he steals from his children. I thought this was a strictly pro-Mars, <laughs> pro-Snickers <laughs> podcast. Does WNYC have a brand deal with her?" Hershey that has forced John to repeal his oh, stance on Snickers, and if this is the case, I can come to accept it. I just need the truth, Ian. Ian, it's true. Ian,
0: no, we can't. T- we cannot discuss
1: this matter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what do you mean? We cannot discuss this matter. The the, the state of
1: our brand deal with Hershey <laughs> slash Mars. We're we're pitting them against each other, Ian. Ex- Exactly, Ian. It has nothing to do with WNYC. It has to do with my desire to have a personal candy sponsor and not really caring who I sell out to.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because Snickers was like, here's a bunch of Snickers bars, and you're like, okay, that's good.
1: But like they only they only last me a month. Yeah, I get, I gave them so much promo for those 478 Snickers bars and did another 478 Snickers bars arrive at my office? No. So no. what that told me is that maybe it's time to reach out to my friends over at the uh, the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups place <laughs> factory. Uh yeah, I mean,
0: the like so little Snickers are fine. They're good. They're one of the best Halloween candies. But little Reese's peanut butter cups are better than big Reese's peanut butter cups. And I'm standing by that statement.
1: Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. A little Snickers tastes like a slightly off Snickers. Yeah, a little little Reese's peanut butter cup tastes like a condensed and superior Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah, which is the kind of thing that I will say over and over and over again. If those folks just send me 478 Reese's peanut butter cups, minis or fulls, I don't care.
0: Oh, geez, minis. That's only like that's like that's like a $40 bag.
1: (laughs) <laughs> That's so true so, why, am geez, I so, job? why am I so willing to sell out For like goods and services But not for cash Like if Reese's was like hey I'll give you 80 bucks To talk about us on the pod I'd be like of course not You've offended me But if they send me 80 bucks worth of candy I'm like hey guys you know what's great Reese's I just took a bath and peanut
0: butter and chocolate and, I, and my ferrets Have never smelled better
1: i I want i want a list of all the times in human history when the sentence my ferrets have never smelled better has been spoken because i want i like i want to relive all Each of those moments, like I want to be a fly, like if heaven exists, it's me as a fly on the wall every single time any human has ever said, my parents have never smelled better. (laughs) This is a great
0: compilation
1: video and it's just John's heaven. It's just like an infinite video of yeah, people and exactly. Exactly. situations. Yeah, it's the infinite jest. Like, I would be so happy for eternity if it was just that. And then, like, I would get occasional breaks to be with my family. But, like, my job would be watching every time that's ever happened. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I am in actual tears. Also, Sean and a bunch of other people wrote in to say, dear Hank
0: and John, on your recent podcast, you discussed some specifics regarding the terms of will a person visit Mars before 2028. And while I agree with your assessment vis-a-vis alien dogs, I think you missed a crucial aspect of your bet in your discussion and your understanding thereof. Citizens United established the precedent that corporations are, in fact, people. So, should a corporation, i.e. SpaceX, visit Mars by 2028, I would argue that Hank, per the specific terms of the bet, has won. Regards, Sean. Thank you, Sean, and everyone else who responded similarly. Excellent
1: point. Completely disagree on every level, Sean. First off, if SpaceX gets to Mars by 2028, I will eat my hat. Secondly... (laughs) Corporations are not people, no matter what the Supreme Court says. Like, if a corporation does something, nobody ever says, like, oh, the first person has made it to the top of Mount Everest. It was Google.
0: Yeah. 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 I think John has, I think John has legitimate points, but I'm going to go with the Supreme Court just because I want the podcast to remain named Dear Hank and John, although probably it still won't be.
1: Yeah. I, I still like my odds, by the way. Hank, it's time for the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. I'll go first. I have decided to be relentlessly positive about AFC Wimbledon through the end of the year. I think that the negativity is not helping. Yes, we are at the very bottom of the table. Yes, we lost another game, the first game without Neil Ardley, 2-1 after being up 1-0. But we're not going to talk about that stuff anymore. We're going to talk about good things, great news. And the best news, really exciting, is that the Dons Trust, which owns AFC Wimbledon. Wimbledon is owned by its fans. The Dons Trust is having elections right now, so if you are a member of the Dons Trust, if you own AFC Wimbledon, I own like one six thousandth of the club You can also own one six thousandth of the club. You can vote uh, for your preferred candidates uh, right now, which I have done. It is democracy in action, and it's a very special thing. Most people don't get to vote for the people who are going to lead their club. They just have to deal with whatever rich person owns it. And in that respect, Wimbledon fans are very fortunate. And so I'm really excited that there are 11 people running for the four spots uh, in the Don's Trust that are up. For election this year. And I love the way the club is run. And I love that forever, 75% of AFC Wimbledon will be owned by the Dons Trust. And no matter what rich person comes in and tries to steal it, it can't. It is an asset of its community, which is the way that all sports teams should be. So good news. What's going on in Mars? So the day that this podcast comes out, Mars Insight Lander will be
0: landing on the surface of Mars one way or another, John, unless it misses, in which case that's a terrible noose.
1: <laughs> so
0: I guess that's a possibility. But a really, how, big is,
1: uh, how big is this lander? Give me, uh, give me some specs.
0: Uh, I don't know how what it weighs. That would be an interesting fact for me to have access to, and yet I don't.
1: Am I talking about like a hot wheel landing on Mars, or am I no. talking about like a desk landing on Mars? Uh, bigger than a desk. <gasps> wow. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah and and also it will get bigger once it lands
1: because it will unfold which is quite cool that is cool i'm uh, so excited for this hank i have bookmarked the nasa website and set a calendar reminder so i don't miss the live stream i i need this moment <laughs>
0: Yeah, I agree. I'm right there with you, John. So uh, last week I talked about this seismometer that InSight will place on the surface of Mars. And now uh, I will tell you about the two other main experiments that are on the InSight lander. One is a heat probe that will hammer itself down into the surface of Mars. And here's what it does. It will go down a little bit and then it will release some heat and then measure how fast that heat dissipates and this will tell us about the composition at that level. then it will go 50 centimeters deeper and it will release some heat Mm -hmm. and do it again. And then 50 centimeters at a time until it's five meters, ideally, if everything goes to plan, below the surface of Mars, at which point it will sit there. Um, And it will have learned its active experiment part of how much, how good uh, Mars is at dissipating heat, which
1: will tell us about the composition of the crust. So basically, Hank, what you're saying is that this contraption will be kind of like hot breathing onto the surface of Mars.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's a portion of it that will be hot breathing onto the surface of Mars, correct. It's great. And, I love uh, it. And then there's another experiment that is designed to tell whether or not Mars has a solid core, which is a question that's up in the air. We literally have no idea. And it does that by basically measuring exactly where it is on the surface of Mars. And that will allow us to tell how much Mars wobbles in its orbit. Hmm. And that wobble and how that wobble works will tell us whether there's a core or Uh, of the planet, which is amazing that you can do that with just a couple antennas on the surface of the, the, the lander.
1: That is pretty amazing. Science. Science! Alright, Hank, thank you for podding with me. Thanks to everybody for listening. We're off to make our patron only podcast over at patreon.com/slash Hank and John called This Week in Ryan's, but first, I think Hank has the credits. I do. Dear Hank and John is a co-production of Complexly
0: and WNYC Studios. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our editor is Nicholas Jenkins. Victoria Bongiorno is our head of community and communications. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola, and as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget,
1: forget to be, be awesome. awesome. Bye.